just let me pick up just a little bit of where we left off last week, all right? Because we left off, Jesus is, is confronting the Pharisees at this point. Actually, they're probably confronting Jesus, and he's just responding to them. But one of the things that he spoke about, he spoke about, uh, you guys are so focused on surface issues that you're forgetting the heart of the matter. I'm more concerned about the heart than I am about the surface. And I had uh, just said to somebody uh, this week, um, you know, I'm not really interested in the he said, she said, because that's the, the, the surface issues. Just this week. And, you know, I've said that so many times over the years that uh, just to friends, to, to family, to, to loved ones, and uh, the, the real deal here is you're talking about issues that are surface when really there's a, a root issue here. Think about it for just a second. Think about how we fight over issues uh, but deep down, there's probably a bigger issue. And one of the ways that I always encourage and I always say is uh, seek, seek the wisdom of men and women that love Jesus, that are going to give you the right message because I think, there are <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there that love Jesus, that uh, may give you uh, a wrong message. And, it, and it's with a good heart. So I will always encourage you to make your circle small, but make it with people that you trust and that are wise. And so uh, right now I'm saying if all you can focus on is the surface issues, the things that you're doing or they're doing or anything like that that's probably a good indication that you need wise counsel because there's a, a deeper deeper issue that's going on I, I only go back to that because uh, obviously that was one of the things that people have talked to me about this week and so uh, I'm really here just to encourage you just here to encourage you I believe that uh, I'm not I'm not qualified in the professional world to counsel, nor is it really my calling to counsel, but uh, I get approached all the time for spiritual or biblical wisdom, and so therefore I'm put in that position, and, and several in this room are put in that position, and that's good. It's fine. If we feel like we need to like go deeper with you, we have professionals that uh, spend their time doing that and are called to do that, and so uh, I would encourage you in that. But Jesus has now said this to the Pharisees and he's speaking to them and he's just like, honestly, he's just defending himself. I don't even know if he's defending himself. He's just teaching the word. And they've come to him now. It's still the festival of booths. It's near the last day. It says in John chapter 7, verse 25 is where we pick up. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? 
Yet, look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. <laughs> did, you, did you get that right there? Like Jesus has come in, he kind of took his time getting there, but, and because he was taking his time, they were all wanting to know where he was. And at the same time, they're wanting to kill him because he, they feel like he's blaspheming God. And now Jesus is in the middle of them all, and he's talking, and everybody's sitting around him, and nobody's saying anything. Right? Like, if you disagree with something, you're probably going to protest. You're probably going to speak out. We see it every day. And nobody's saying anything. Even those that disagree with him are sitting there and they're listening. It says, can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? Now, all of a sudden, doubt is creeping in. Verse 27, it says, but we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. All right, the Pharisees are sitting there saying, we know where this man's from. Where did they say that he's from? Jesus of Nazareth. Ah, uh, wrong answer. That's what they say. He, granted, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, right? We know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but where is Jesus from? Bethlehem. He is from Bethlehem. Remember, they lived in Nazareth. They had to go back because Caesar Augustus says, hey, you got to go back to where you're from. They went to Bethlehem just for a moment. And he's actually from Bethlehem. And then for a period, he even went to Egypt. And then back to Nazareth. And then he does his ministry in Galilee. So he's all the time referred as a Galilean. Does he come from Galilee or does he come from Nazareth? But they're saying, well, we know where he's from. We don't know where the Messiah is going to come from. Wrong again. You go back to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and guess where Micah says the Messiah is going to come from? Bethlehem. Are you kidding me? Like, they're trying to figure this whole messiah thing out and they haven't even done their homework and then verse 28 says as he was teaching in the temple jesus cried out you know me and you know where i'm from yet i have not come on my own but the one who sent me is true you don't know him i know him because i am from him and he sent me. Now, I know you're sitting there like going, that, that's pretty cool. Those are red letters. That's good. I, I can even sit here and understand where what he's talking about. I know him because I'm from him, from the Father, and he sent me. But watch this. This is a serious accusation to make against an Orthodox Jew. Like for him to literally say this, for the Jews really prided themselves in knowing the true God, the God of Israel. And he's sitting there saying, 
you don't even know God. These are the ones that like memorize God's word, God's law for their whole life. And they're sitting there saying, what do you mean we don't know God's law? And Jesus is just literally calling them out. In verse 30, he says, then they tried to seize him. (laughs) You don't know God. They came after him. It says they tried to seize him. They're ready to kill him. And watch this. Yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. What does that mean? We know this. It's the seventh month and the 21st day of the seventh month. Because we are at the festival of the tabernacles, the festival of the booths. Passover is like six months from then. And Jesus knew that his time to actually die for all sin was to be exactly at the right time in Jerusalem at the Passover. And so therefore, literally, he knows that he can say whatever he wants to say. And even though they attempt to seize him and take him out, nothing's going to happen to him. It's like Houdini. He just, he's gone. He gets out. Okay, I'm going to say my thing. I'm going to leave and nobody's going to touch me. Poof, just gone. It wasn't his time. Verse 31, it says, However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? Now, all of a sudden, you've got the Pharisees that are sitting there saying, He's not the Messiah, he's not the Messiah. But inside the crowd, they're like going, Wait, he's already healed a leper a Jewish leper. He's already uh, cast a demon out of a mute. You know, if he does the third one, if he does the third one that you guys have always said, if they do these three miracles, he's the Messiah. No one's ever done one of these and he's already done two. Wait, it's coming. He's going to do the third one, I promise you. He's going to heal a blind man from birth. Just wait a couple chapters. And they're sitting there saying, is there really anybody else that's going to come that can do more than this man's already done? In this crowd, in the multitudes, in those that are listening to the Jewish Pharisees and they're saying he's not a Messiah, there is a lot of doubt being sown. They're really beginning to wonder, could this be the Messiah? Verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him. And so the chief priests, who would be the chief priests? That would be the Sadducees. And the Pharisees sent servants to arrest him. They sent servants to arrest Jesus because he's causing problem among the Jewish people. Servants. Then Jesus said, I'm only with you for a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. 
Sounds like the Riddler. The truth of the matter is, it really is a parable. What we just read right there is a parable. Because remember what has happened here. In Matthew chapter 12, these same Pharisees, these same Jewish leaders accused Jesus after he did this second messianic miracle of doing this under the spirit of Beelzebub. And Jesus said, you've just blasphemed the spirit. Therefore, now you're not going to hear the truth. And it's at this point that Jesus began speaking in parables and the Jewish leaders couldn't understand what he was teaching. He was doing this publicly. And then as we read in the scripture, he goes privately to his 12 and he goes, here's what this parable means. Let me explain it to you because you need to know what it means. He was discipling his 12 boys. And he explained. But these Jewish leaders, they heard the parables, and honestly, they could never figure out that he was most of the time talking about them. Even to this day, the parables can be so misunderstood if they're taken out of context. I say this all the time. How many different stories have you heard from the prodigal son? It's amazing. I haven't got there yet. We'll get to that one. But this is a parable. He's saying, you're going to look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. If they understood that thing, they would have killed him on the spot. Not that they could have, but they would have attempted it. Because what he's saying this is, Where was Jesus going? Where was he going? To the Father. He was going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he says, you can't come there. Why can't they come there? Because they have not been made righteous. They are the unrighteous. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. It's the only way to the Father. Then the Jews said to one another, Where does he intend to go so we won't find him? They're trying to figure out this riddle that he's just given them. He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? Is he like going to spread this thing even beyond us? He's going to go outside? Because we know we're not going to go there where the Greeks are. We're not going to go hang out with them. Is that what he's talking about? What is this remark he made? You will look for me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come. Just as you said, he's going to the right hand of the Father. Only those who believe that he is the Messiah will go there. And then we get to verse 37. It says, on the last and most important day of the festival. Here we go. This was, now we know it's the 21st day of the seventh month. That's when the festival of the booths ended. Jesus stood up and he cried out. You remember last week I I gave you a couple of examples of what happened during the festival of the booths. On this last day, this last day of the feast, the seventh day, it was a very special day. And the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam 
and they would fill their golden pitchers up with water and then they would come back to the temple and they would literally march around they would march around the altar seven times with their pitcher of water and then they would pour out this pitcher of water over the rock over this altar and the pouring out of this water symbolized this pouring out of the spirit this was all taken back from exodus when they were walking around in the wilderness thus we walk around the altar like seven times they were wandering around in the wilderness and they were saying, Moses, Moses, we're thirsty. And Moses actually took his rod and he hit a rock and water came out. And they had water to drink. This whole festival of booths symbolizes that right there. And it's important for you to know that. And Jesus is standing there that very same day and he says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. <laughs> Is there any way that you can get the attention of the Jews than to go back and say, hey, you know what Moses provided by hitting this stone? I've got something even greater than that. Jesus knew how to get the Jews' attention. And then, here, here's just a, a, a little piece of history. A little piece of history. If you go back to the prophet of Haggai, and you read in chapter 2, I'll take you there right now. Watch this. This was the foretelling of Jesus as he said this. Haggai chapter 2, it says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the same exact day. This is the anniversary of Haggai chapter 2 that Jesus says, Are you thirsty? It says, The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Skip to verse 4. It says, This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. That's Old Covenant, right? That's Old Covenant. Work, for I am with you. Because we know in the New Covenant, he says, Rest, I'm in you. I'll do it for you. You tried in the Old Covenant, didn't work. But in the Old Covenant, he says, Work, I, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of hosts. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. I love it how the Lord is constantly telling us, it's all right, relax, don't be fearful. Jesus said that to his disciples all the time. Guys, relax, don't be fearful. For the Lord of hosts says this, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea of the dry land. I will shake all the nations so the treasures of all the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. This is a temple. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver and the gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of hosts. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of the hosts. Something greater is coming. Jesus says, 
that water that God provided Moses, if you drink my water, you're never going to thirst again. I promise you. You had to work to get that water. You don't have to work to get this water. I'll take care of you. Verse 39, it says, he said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Uh, what does that mean? He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. When did that happen? What? When did that happen? At Pentecost, which was what scripture? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit. That happened in Acts chapter 2. It says, For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When was Jesus glorified? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, then he went to sit by the Father. And in his glory, he was there. Then the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Remember what happened in Acts. Peter's preaching, Peter's preaching, and the Spirit was poured out, and 3,000 people, that was just the men that they were counting, 3,000 people came to know Jesus as the Messiah. He's literally said, this is what's going to happen. Now he's caused division. Verse 40, it says, When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some said, Wait, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. Does he? Does he? We know no. But there's now confusion. Now there is doubt that is entered in. In verse 42 it says, Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem? Oh, that somebody got it there. Somebody did their homework. Come from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Have you, have you ever in your life as a little kid or even as an adult stood at the edge of the high dive I'm going to do it I'm going to do it but you're sitting there and you're like going oh man we call that doubt and literally you stand at the edge I've literally stood and watched people stand on the edge for a long period of time waiting to jump. Because why? They're paralyzed. The doubt has caused them to not move forward. And this is exactly what's happened. They want to kill Jesus. They want to say, no, you're not the Messiah. But, man, everything about him says, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah, yet they're afraid they're afraid to jump. Verse 45, it says, Then the servants, remember the servants, 
These are the ones the chief priest sent to go seize Jesus and bring him to him. Then the servants came to the chief priests, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him? And the servants answered, uh, No man ever spoke like this. <laughs> really? Now there's doubt among the ranks. Then the Pharisees responded to them, Are you fooled too? Watch this. This is awesome. Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. The Pharisees, being those that know the law, being those that are educated, being those that went to the rabbi school, sent the servants to seize Jesus. And the servants, all of a sudden, they see Jesus as, ooh, he could be the Messiah. And they come back and they tell the intellectuals, hey, he could be the Messiah. And the intellectuals look at the servants and go, you guys never were that smart. Can't you see? Can't you see that he's not the Messiah? The Pharisees right there are proclaiming that they are more intellectual than the people that they lead and teach. You know, I've been accused of not fully understanding the word of God. And I've been confused. Uh, I've been accused of being confused about my teaching. And I look at them and I go inside. That's okay. I'll take what I have. With the freedom that I'm blessed with. And the peace and the understanding of knowing what I've got. I'll be honest with you. At one point, I thought I was intellectual. I thought I knew more than everybody. And then the Spirit revealed to me that I don't. And even as I progress in my reading and teaching and understanding, I'm realizing I don't understand as much as I thought I did yesterday. It's a journey, it's progress, and I'm just trusting the Lord in that. But anybody, anytime anybody tells you that they get it and you don't, I probably just walk away and be okay with the Spirit teaching you. and trusting those that you know who have wisdom. And then we get to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously, this was the the second of three times that Nicodemus is spoken about having interaction with Jesus. The one who came to him previously and who was one of them said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? This is it. This is, this is it right here. This point right here. You know, Nicodemus, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah in the end. Was this the turning point for Nicodemus? He's literally standing up to his brothers, his, 
his leadership team that he's on, and he's like going, um, we're not going to say this man's guilty before we actually hear from him, are we? To me, that sounds like he's starting to defend him. Not that he's totally accepted, but he's like, he's challenged his peers. He's stepped out right there. I truly believe this is the point where where Nicodemus says in his heart that Jesus is the Messiah. And they say to Nicodemus, their peer, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? Investigate and you will see no prophet arises from Galilee. Ah, false. Didn't do your homework. Guess what prophet came from Galilee? Jonah. Jonah came from Galilee, yet they hadn't done their homework. And the beautiful thing about their response is, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? Is they never answered Nicodemus's question. He asked him a question, is this how we treat people? And what did they do? All they did was ridicule Nicodemus. That's like an ancient debate trick, right? When you cannot answer the argument, you attack the speaker. That's nothing new, people. (laughs) You're watching it play out today, but that's an old ancient debate trick. And it's right here in the scriptures. We know Jesus didn't come from Galilee. He went to Galilee. And we know that a prophet came from Galilee. That was Jonah. Wait, do you remember what Jesus said to them before that? They said, we want to see miracles. And he said, you're going to see one miracle. You're going to see the miracle of Jonah. I love when it all ties together. And then verse 53, it says, then each one went to his house. I'm going to get into chapter 8, and we're going to close with this story. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. If you, t- if you take the, the map of Israel, you've got the Temple Mount, but just directly east, directly east of the Temple Mount is the Mount of Olives. Right now, it's the Mount of Olives. There's hardly any olive trees. There's still some olive trees there. And the Garden of Gethsemane is there. If you go there, to me, that was like the most incredible place to be, the Garden of Gethsemane. To know that these olive trees are like over 2,000 years old. I look at the the trees in my backyard and know that they're all going to like die in a few years. But these olive trees have been around for over 2,000 years. It's crazy. But now the Mount of Olives is like a bunch of tombstones and it's a cemetery because the Jews want to be in Israel when the Messiah returns. And so they spend big money to be buried at the Mount of Olives because they want to be there when their bodies rise up out of the graves in the Messiah. News for them. <laughs> the Messiah has already come. He's coming back, that's for sure. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and that's actually where he stayed. We know later that he stayed at Mary's house there near Bethesda. 
It says at dawn he went to the temple again. This is the day after the festival of booths. And it says all the people were coming to him and he sat down and he began to teach. He's literally now teaching in the women's court. In the temple, I should have put a picture up, but in the temple there's the Gentiles court and if you're a Gentile, there's still space for you. That's typically where they sold uh, all the all the, the the animals for the for the altar on the Passover, you know, and Jesus like turned the tables up. That was in the Gentile court. The Gentiles could only go that far. Then the Jewish women had their court, and that was inside of the Gentile court, and women could go that far. That's as far as the women could go. Well, this is where Jesus was. He's actually sitting and teaching in the women's court. And people are gathering around him, and it's getting crowded. It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. The scribes, this is, again, the Pharisees, the people that believe that Jesus is not the Messiah, caught a woman in adultery. A woman. Didn't say a couple. Said a woman. What happened to the man? Right? Because the law required that both parties be stoned. You go back to Deuteronomy 22, 22. It says, If a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both having... uh, uh, If a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. You must purge evil from Israel. Why did they only bring the woman? Right? And how did they catch her? It does seem kind of suspicious that the man was set free. So... Literally, the Pharisees have now handled this situation in a very brutal fashion. Even in a way that interrupted the Lord's teaching. That they would like make all this commotion and bring them right to Jesus as he's teaching. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They've asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. They're looking for anything that they can to accuse Jesus of breaking the law so that they can kill him. Now, they're asking, should we stone her? If Jesus says yes, it would go against everything that he's been teaching about forgiveness. If Jesus said no, it would go against the law of Moses. Ha! They finally got him. They got him in a place that he can't get out of. Wrong. It says Jesus stooped down. And he started writing in the ground 
with his finger. We honestly don't know what he wrote in the dirt. But I do know this. The Jews who were using the law of Moses against them took the Ten Commandments and they said, what do you do? And Jesus begins writing in the dirt. The same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments. Are you, it, it says the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. What is he writing? Thou shalt not commit. The author of the Ten Commandments is writing in the dirt. Maybe he's even writing what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in chapter 17. He says, The Lord of hope of Israel... All who abandon you will be put to shame. All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt. (laughs) For they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. I don't know what he wrote. That would be interesting if he wrote that. And when they... Look, he's writing in the dirt and they're like going, Hey! You going to answer our question? What are you going to do? He's writing in the dirt. And he stood up and he says to them, the one without sin among you, you should be the first to throw a stone at her. <laughs> then he stooped down again. And he continued writing on the ground. And guess what happened? When they heard what he said, one by one, they started to walk away. And there's a reason for that. Because when he says, the one without sin, he's not talking about just general sin. He's talking about that specific sin. If you if you go back to Deuteronomy and you can like I don't have time to break it down right now, but literally, he's like the first accuser. The first accuser has to throw the first stone. Whoever the accuser is, you have to throw the first stone. Then everybody else can join in the party and throw stones. But whoever the accuser is, whoever's going to accuse this person of this specific sin, you cast the first stone. And it says they all walked away. You know what that says? (laughs) The Pharisees were all adulterers. They had all done the same sin. No one there could throw the first stone. That's crazy. Watch this. It says, only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She 
obviously saw what was going on and she said, no one, Lord. And he looks at her in the eye. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. That makes it seem like Jesus is pretty soft on sin. Nope. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew that he had already had a plan to deal with her sin. He said, go and sin no more. Go and let me live your life for you. Go and trust me. Quit focusing on trying not to sin. Just trust me. Just focus on me. I got you. I'll take care of you. Your sin issue? Hey, look. Your sin issue? I've already dealt with. I got this. All you have to do is quit relying on yourself. Rely on me. I got this. Obviously, she's before the cross. We're after the cross. And we live in that promise that's foretold to her. We live, we live in that forgiveness. I literally live in that forgiveness. Lord, help me with my unbelief. Lord, let me trust you with what's going on in my life. I want you to fix my root issue. Lord, I pray that uh, as we continue in your word, continue breaking this down, that uh, you just you just help us. Help us uh, with the trust. Help us with just um, focusing on you, knowing you, loving you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.